You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case i got bored welcome to tfm's books and comic show for star trek and i am just one of the hosts here matthew rushing and so glad to have back the beautifully brilliant bruce gibson hello i am so glad to be here thank you for having me oh whoa british bruce gibson I don't know what Bruce Gibson you've got right now, but, you know, I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm excited to be here. We've got a uh, comic here to review in the news as uh, year five hit issue 21. And then we're going to be talking about more of the Typhon Pack series with Paths of Disharmony. So very excited that, in fact, uh, you know, I, I was going to wake Dayton up in the in the green room, but I figured I you should let him sleep, so... Yeah, no, 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 no. Don't do that, because he can get very, very grumpy. It's not a pleasant sight. He's also, I think, uh, still recovering from the 4th of July hangover. But um, anyway, so uh, you can uh, find us, of course, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Literary Tracks. Uh, please, if you like the show, hit us up with a star rating review over on the Apple podcast system. That way people can find the show better. Uh, just make sure you subscribe so you get the show as soon as it drops. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. The listeners' discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference is a great place to join to talk to listeners from all over the world about the shows here on the network. And you can go over to trek.fm slash contact and send us an email if you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we'd like to say a huge thank you. We've got some great associate producers here through Patreon, making sure the entire network keeps coming to you, as well as Linear Tracks. Greg Rosier and Casey Petit, thank you so much for supporting the network through Patreon. Guys, if, if you like the network and you like what we do, please go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you could be part of our team. Honestly, uh, every little bit helps, um, but we've got some great contribution levels you can give at as well. And again, that is patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Bruce, uh, as I mentioned, we have uh, got Star Trek Year 5, number 21, had dropped. Uh, and as we're recording this, Part two is about to drop, uh, or uh, chapter twenty-two of the the comic is going to drop out. But we're gonna we're gonna leave that till the next episode, so we'll give people time to read it and everything. Um, but this one kind of wraps up that it's like a small duology of where you know Spock got transform transported all the way back to the awakening, the great awakening of her Vulcan, and so. We speculated maybe Gary Seven was involved in this, and yes, Gary Seven is involved in this. And in fact, in some ways, um, he helps out the Enterprise, but only so that he can come back and hurt Kirk later. <laughs> <laughs> I know Gary Seven has me so confused right now. I started to wonder if this was a different Gary Seven. Are we seeing multiple Gary Sevens yeah. from different dimensions? 
I don't but, remember Terry yeah. Seven being an enemy of the Enterprise. I don't either. That's why I keep thinking by the end of the series, we're going to find out really what's going on and that he's not necessarily an enemy of the Enterprise, uh, but he's doing what he needs to do for some other reason. I don't know. I'm very curious about this because, yeah, he says, hey, uh, the timeline has changed because Spock's in the past. I'll help you go back and get him and then correct. And then we will correct the timeline. And then as a result of that, everything's back to normal. And then I can come after you and get rid of you guys. Because <laughs> of what you did to ISIS. Right. And whatever else you might end up doing. Because there seems to be a hint that mm-hmm. there's something that's going on that's going to be disastrous later. Exactly. Because, you know, don't mess with a man's cat. Right. Although... She's not quite the cat like we're all used to because <laughs> she's not just a cat. But exactly. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, there's it, so many things about this that are weird. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm with you in the sense that, like, I wish, and, and part of this is that I have missed some of this run of year five. And I don't recall what happened the last time they ran into Gary Seven and what went on with ISIS in the first place that's caused this schism. Um, so, you know, maybe I missed something, but it did seem like, at least from the, you know, the things that I've read, Gary Seven is always a little unconventional in what he does and how he uses the Enterprise crew. But I've never seen them be an out-and-out enemy. Or so I, I'm. Did I miss something, Bruce? I mean, I guess you did in a little ways because ISIS does come after the Enterprise crew. Mm-hmm. She is attacking them, mm-hmm. uh, so they're defending themselves, and they end up killing her. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. That, so yeah. when it comes, so when it comes to Gary Seven, you know, his mission is to save humanity or save the universe, and even though he, I don't think, was an enemy when we first saw him mm-hmm. in the original series, now there's something that's going on that Kirk mm-hmm. and crew are going to cause something, so he now has to go against mm-hmm. them to prevent something from happening. But that still has not been revealed, mm-hmm. and we're 22 issues or 21 issues in at this point, right. and uh, we still don't know. Well, and it seems a little bit too much like that Enterprise episode. You know, where they think that they ruined an entire planet and then they didn't. And so that's right. kind of what this feels like is a setup. So I don't know. Um, it, So far, it's it's interesting, but I wouldn't say it's quite working for me story wise. And then I do have to say everything I feared was going to happen with the, you know, other part of the story uh, with Spock on Vulcan. It happened, and I'm absolutely disappointed in the writing <laughs> of this issue. Um, the fact that Spock is so instrumental in, you know, coming up with all of the ideas because he knows the future, but he comes back as the wise sage, and everybody and he should listen to him. I just, I, I didn't like it at all. I, I really didn't like it at all. 
the problem with this is that Spock has, as he says, like an emotional reaction. His human self comes out mm-hmm. at the end of issue 20 when he does the Vulcan nerve pinch on Surak. Mm-hmm. And so now he realizes by doing that, he is changing the timeline. Right. So now he's trying to fix everything so that things play out the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I do have a bit of an issue with that because, well, not him trying to correct the timeline that's very much like something spock would do but the fact that he did have this response and did to surak what he did which would change the timeline just seems like something spock wouldn't do however i can see where they're going with this and he's dealing with this Mm -hmm. yin and yang against himself his human and vulcan self and we're leading into the end of the five-year mission and the motion picture yep. where he goes to call an art to suppress his emotions. Yep. And this is supposed to be why. Which, I mean, totally got that, that we're leading towards that. Had, you know, I was like, okay, I, I see why you're doing this. I just hate why you're doing it. Uh, like, it was one of those things where I, I get the reasoning behind it. And I think, okay, I'm glad that they do have a reason. I think that, you know, it, obviously, if this had just been one of those things where Kirk where Spock travels back in time and becomes kind of the impetus for everything in Vulcan, that's terrible. They've kind of done that, but they've also given it to be the reason why then he would want to become, a, you know, uh, go through a colonar. I just don't like that this is the reason they're going to go with. Um, I, I just don't. It doesn't work for me. And, you know, it might work for other fans, and I, I think that's great. You know, I just, for me, I think this story of why Spock has gone through Colinar, has been done in other places and better. Uh, and so I, I just, this is one that if you're going to have him go back in time to this time period, I would have loved to have seen something much more interesting being done. Um, and I just, you know, this, this, this whole storyline, unfortunately, just left me cold. So, yeah, it didn't really work for me either. It's, it again which is weird because i was on that he took yeah well because he knows how things play out right if he doesn't like what surak is doing well that means surak did it which resulted in mm-hmm. what he knows happens yes. later in the future yep. by interfering with that yep. even though it's an emotional reaction i wouldn't think he would be that emotional to prevent surak from something doing something that he disagrees with because mm-hmm. he knows that this will play out the way it's supposed to so maybe Sarek learns from his mistake. Now Spock is preventing that from happening. Like, I would just think that even though he's feeling some emotion, that his logical self would take a few moments to realize I shouldn't do anything. It's all going to work out. Yeah. Take a breath, bro. Like, right. Take a breath. It, 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 yeah. So, well, I, you know, I'll, I'm interested to see, you know, obviously this series is coming to a close soon. I'm going to be interested to see, you know, where it ends up. And, you know, some of this series has been good and, and you know, some of it hasn't quite worked. So uh, hopefully, you know, year five will end strong um, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll know before we know it uh, because, uh, you know, this, this series isn't going to last forever uh, as a run. So, I'm uh, you know, uh, hopefully it'll it'll end on a strong note. So. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And Bruce, uh, you know what? I'm thinking maybe it's time for us to walk some paths of disharmony. Arm in arm.
Okay, Bruce. So this is a massive book in the Typhon series, and there are so many things that we could talk about in it, and we are going to talk about them. But I wanted to kind of start with you. Um, this book is really continuing a lot of character work. And a lot of that character work is from characters that we have been following for a very long time. Uh, Picard and Crusher, LaForge and his love life. We've been, uh, you know, Trissa Chen has been a character we've been with for a long time now as well, as well as Shar the Andorian. Uh, and so I, can I just give props to our friend uh, Dayton Ward? Because I felt like everything that he did in this novel, you know, one of the big complaints we had uh, in one of our, you know, the rough piece of Empire novel was, a lot of that did not feel organic to the characters that we had been spending so much time with, mainly Cisco. This novel, I feel like everything feels completely organic to everything that the authors throughout this relaunch series, you know, have been working through. And all of the questions that these characters are asking themselves felt perfect uh, for them to be asking. And so first, I just, as we talk about the idea of, you know, character work, I just, I really had to give our friend Dayton props because a hundred percent of the time it worked for me. There wasn't anything in this that I saw from a character that I was like, eh, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't, I, I don't like that direction. No, I was fine with it throughout. The thing I like about this book is that it does advance some of these characters from where they were last time in previous books. Yes. So we advance the relationship bec- between Picard and Crusher. We advance their whole thinking of having a family mm-hmm. and how they have a son and what is the next step in their lives. Should they keep doing what they've been doing, retain their duties on the Enterprise or do something else to protect the family? And then even Shar who was on Deep Space Nine is now on Andor and just seeing what he has to deal mm-hmm. with and him coming to grips of, yeah, I'm a Starfleet officer, but I'm also an Andorian. And how do I balance those right. two? How do I defend both and see him work with that? And of course, like you said, LaForge and his dating life, which is always something he's working on, you know, and it's there's a lot of development in these characters of taking that next mm-hmm. step. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I, you know, the the organicness for Picard and Crusher to be asking these questions because now they do have a son. And, and the situation that this book puts them in is that they are both in danger because they are both on the planet as all of this turmoil is happening. And they legitimately both could have died, right? And their son, Renee, would have been left parentless. And so they're av- having to ask these questions. Do we want to continue this lifestyle? And both of them are at the point where they're at least thinking about the possibility of choosing a different life. In fact, I loved Crusher talking to the Andorian scientist and, you know, being at her office and how wonderfully set up her office was. It was kind of almost this like retreat, you know, and it it was beautiful and got me thinking about like, you know, if you wanted to change your starship, you know, office, right, you you know, you wanted to do that. I'm sure you could requisition if you wanted or order for your office, you know, like natural elements like wood and those kind of things. You could do that, you know, Um, so because they've talked about trying to she talked about trying to make her office feel as non-clinical as possible, non-sterile as possible. But 
you know, just that alone for both her and Picard. You know, Picard's been offered the idea of being an ambassador or an admiral, and and this does have an appeal to him that hasn't happened before, and part of that is parenthood. And what I kind of just love about that in general is that parenthood changes your life, you know, and it makes you ask questions that you would have never asked before, just as them getting married made them ask questions that they would have never asked before. So, you know, I think that this is something that's kind of special about this book, and I got to hand it to him too, you know, finally bringing us a character where LaForge and Dr. Harstad um, strike up this relationship and, you know, they're they're both kind of on the same level. It feels like a good character creation for somebody who's really going to be good for Jordy in his love life, which that and and look, I know that he's creating and I'm just rambling here and I'm sorry, but I know he's created the character specifically to be somebody who's going to be with LaForge, but it didn't feel like that. It just felt like a very organic thing. And I think that's also special. Beverly is the one who sets them yes. up, which I love that whole scene yep. where he's in the writing club. I can never remember the, the happy name bottom writing club, the happy bottom writing club. And then she, uh, this doctor approaches him, Harstead, and she says, you know, they sit down, they talk for a while and she's new to the ship and he's, yeah, they start realizing that they've been set up that she's like, okay, uh, Dr. Crusher told me you want to talk to me about this. He's like, no, Dr. Crusher told me yeah. you want to talk to. And then it's like, oh, okay. We can see where's that. Oh, I'm not good at this. Neither am I. Like they're very similar. So, and then they start this relationship, which it feels natural because mm-hmm. it feels that LaForges is somebody that is at his level when it comes to social interactions, especially with dating. So they're both these kind of fish out of water that they can go arm in arm and feel like they belong together. They Mm -hmm. can support each other. Yeah, no, I, I heartily agree. And, you know, honestly, it's kind of been interesting too, because, you know, Teresa Chen and Tarek, the Vulcan kind of start a relationship as well here. Um, And it's been very subtle, the, the work to kind of bring them to this point and, you know, I, I kind of love that for them, it, it's more about the kind of almost the opposites of Tract, you know, because, you know, she's half human, half Vulcan and, and never, you know, held anything Vulcan. She's she's embraced her Vulcan side. So she's the opposite of Spock. And, you know, Tark is, is very Vulcan. And but for them to kind of end up in a relationship, I, I think, is is really interesting and, and allows us to play with some interesting dynamics that we have honestly not played with very much before um, when it comes to uh, Vulcans in a relationship. You know, we, we've seen, you know, Trip into Paul, we've seen, you know, Spock, but, you know, very little relationship wise. So really, it's only been Trip into Paul. We've really had Vulcans in a relationship with anyone. So to me, this is a great and fun way to kind of play around with, uh, a species that we we haven't really seen in in this area. Well, the thing about this one was I don't I didn't initially want to see them together because Chen is just so outgoing, can be silly, is very casual. I mean, she's so much the anti-Vulcan in a right. lot of ways and she chose to be that way. And so the fact that she's like that, I would think why would she want to be with a Vulcan with no emotions? But then, to your point, it's like you, the opposites of track. It started to work for me because he seemed to be making more the initiative to hang out with her. And it reminds me in some ways, you ever meet those like couples where it's like, 
let's say the woman is very loud and outspoken and opinionated and the guy is quiet (laughs) and you're like what do they see each other he doesn't talk and she does all the talking exactly it's like that (laughs) Uh, no you're 100 percent right so i all in all, I think one of the things that made this so wonderful is that we're, we're obviously, you know, Dayton has a very important story we're going to get to, right? But I wanted to start with this this section because I think one of the things that some of the complaints that I've really had about some tie-in fiction re- recently from Star Wars to Star Trek has been the fact that it doesn't feel character-driven. It feels more plot-driven. This whole book, even though there's this massive plot that's happening, everything that's happening in it felt more character driven and and part of that is is our familiarity with these characters but i think it's harder to write a a story than sometimes and make them feel like something's really happening and of course you know the biggest thing that's going on here and the reason this can happen is these characters aren't ever going to appear on screen again (laughs) at least that's what we thought when these books were coming out right so there's this real beauty to this happening and i think uh, it's, it's, I love it. I, I really, I think again, Dayton should be praised by making this seem as organic as possible. And when it comes to the big plot thing, I was fascinated to see how applicable again, a Star Trek book was more so than when it came out and the Andorians are playing the blame game. And, I found it fascinating to see the way this segment of the Andorian population is beginning to blame the Federation for their problems because their problems have no easy answers, right? Uh, The Borg attack, as well as their reproductive issues. Uh, And this is even before we find out the massive revelation, right? And... It just felt so familiar about the way, you know, these extremist groups, they make themselves the heroes. They make everyone else the villains, regardless of the facts. Um, You give people someone to blame and therefore you're tapping into the emotionalism of the moment and you create this mob. uh, And when people are running on all emotion, they're not thinking. Uh, And this is also what happens. They're tapping into the idea that People can feel forgotten. And the Andorians here, some of them are feeling forgotten and they need somebody to blame. And the easiest people to blame is the Federation. Yeah, and I don't know how I feel about all that. I, I get it. And, and I like it in the story. I, I like us going down this road. I just... I don't know if, I mean, I can see that there's certain segments of Andorians that are against the Federation because they didn't feel like the Federation did enough to protect them from the Borg. I get that. That makes sense. But then this other issue that they're having about, you know, having problems birthing children, their fertility Mm -hmm. in this species, I don't think is to blame on the Federation at this point, like at certain points in the novel. But the fact that I feel like it's more of a fear Mm -hmm. that they know that their race is becoming weaker because they're not able to keep the population going. Mm -hmm. They're not able to fertilize and have children like they used to. And now they've been attacked by the Borg and they've lost a 
big section of the yep. population to the Borg. So they're getting weaker and weaker and feel like they're going to die off. And so there's this fear. Mm-hmm. And the fear isn't for some people there to correct to correct the problem, mm-hmm. but to your point, is to blame others for it. And if they can right. remove everybody else from it, then they can take the responsibility themselves. What it, this has come down to is that a segment of the Andorian population is specifically, uh, I think you would say his name, Thagarin. Um, he is running by the axiom that every every crisis is an opportunity. And this opportunity here is to remake the Andorian race in his ideological bent. Um, because what he's done is he's retreating to this kind of protectionist ideology that we need to be separate. We need to be who we truly are, which is Andorian. Um, we need, you know, to basically become our own tribe again. Um, and there's a great quote in the book that, that somebody says about uh, the Tershaya, the I think is how you would say it. I'm going to butcher everything because it's I don't speak Andorian. Um if they believe their message is important enough, they won't think anything within reason is off limits. And he's truly pushing this idea that for Andorian should be for Andorians. We should only uh, focus only on ourselves. Um, the Federation isn't here to help us. In fact, they're making us less of who we are. And so are these technologies that could possibly kind of rewrite our genetic code and change who we are and it goes to show the ease of of, again it, it it's taking everything it's twisting all of the facts and it's twisting all of this emotion like you said into fear because you have this base level fear of is our civilization dying and that fear is easy to translate and get people to then think one thing and blame something, even if it has nothing to do with reality, because that's our natural inclination is we, we just want something to focus on. We want something to blame on uh, blame, even if it doesn't really make sense, because it gives us a focus for that fear and emotion. And that's exactly what they're tapping into. And I, I think it doesn't necessarily make sense rationally, right? When we, Because we're sitting back. We're not Andorians. We're not worried about our race going extinct. Uh, so we're thinking about it completely rationally, but all of these people aren't. And again, you have this leader who's completely tapping into that and using it for his benefit. He's letting no crisis uh, go unused. And but is, it, but is it really that what he, he really wants to, them to stand on their own? I mean, what what benefit is that? I mean, it's like you're saying it doesn't make sense because, okay, you blame the Federation for not really being there to protect Andor from the Borg, but then if you're on your own, you wouldn't have had a Federation to exactly. even be there to protect you. So what's the? And then he's okay with the race dying out if that's what the will of their God is like they, they want the natural order of things to just take place and not have interference, but then he allows interference from another species to come in. So I don't really know really what he's trying to accomplish. 
And I, I think that is the thing that is what makes this so fascinating, right? Is that what we're seeing here is this, there isn't anything logical with what he's talking about. He's just, he's doing this thing that, like, you know, Picard thinks to himself, you know, this notion of, like, labeling groups and people in order to find parameters to discussion. And problem solving had always seemed to him a little more than a fool's errand. He said, ideas, so long as they are constructive and based in facts and reality rather than in hysterics and the propagation of ignorance and fear were worth exploring regardless of their presenter's ideology. The problem here is, is that the other thing that Gatharn is is doing is he's slowly turning these he, he's slowly turning this mob and Andor into a group of people who aren't thinking, they're only feeling. He's giving them then an enemy to focus on. Very traditional. And as one person on the Enterprise said, you know, anyone who spent more than five minutes in a children's history class should be able to see what this guy is trying to do. The problem is, is that when we're at that point where we're pushed to the brink, are we even paying attention? You know, and I think that's the thing that becomes really, you know, damaging here is that um, we Andor has Andor has been pushed to the brink, right? And they're majority. Well, not necessarily majority, but I would say at least a good half of their population has has become radicalized through emotionalism. And they they can't see it because all they're doing is feeling so deeply and there's nowhere for these emotions to go. Rationalism has gone out the window. Yeah, they're in despair. Nothing seems yes. to be going right. Right? So if nothing's going right... It's not even just so much how do you blame someone, but how do you fix the problem? And it can be through science, or it could be excluding those that have been involved that aren't part of your society. They're not part of your species. And what good are they? Maybe we don't need them, right? Maybe that's what his thinking is. We don't need the Federation because look where we are. They're not, they haven't done anything to really help us. So why play this game? Let's figure something else out. Right. And that seems to be where that desperation is. It's like, okay, this doesn't seem to be working. Let's do something else. And I don't know what that other thing is to do, but let's just get rid of that one and maybe we'll figure Mm -hmm. it out later. And that's what it feels like to me. I can't blame them. That's the beauty of this novel is that even though he's probably wrong, at least in our opinion, I totally understand it. You right. know, yeah. at first it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I'm looking at it from the Federation view. Mm-hmm. But if you really put yourself in their place, then you start to realize, okay, I can understand why he would feel that right. way. I don't think what he's doing is right, yes. but I get why he feels that way. To your point, it's based on feeling, not logic. Well, and historically, we have seen this happen. This is how people tap into the emotion of a country and sway it one way or the other. This this is how this happens. And again, this is where, you know, we've talked so much and we always talk so much about the show where history is so important to understand. 
And the less you under, understand about history, the more you're going to be in a place to be swayed by these type of arguments, right? And part of that, you know, has to do with the fact that we are trying to save a civilization. We're And in saving a civilization, what is appropriate? You know, do the ends justify the means in light of annihilation? And that was an interesting question here because a lot of the Andorians do have a problem with this idea of using these other, you know, genetic codes and everything to help supplement their own to help them with this reproductive process. And so what is right and wrong in this situation when if you don't do anything, it's pretty clear that the Andorian species would not survive at all. I mean, that that we were at a birthing rate to which we're way below replacement level here, you know, and I mean, even countries around the world are dealing with this without pe- with people not having kids. So, and and it's not because they can't, right? It's just because they're not. This is a whole civilization where they they could be dead soon mm-hmm. uh, if they do nothing. So, I, I thought that this was another really great question uh, to be asking. But the other question to ask is if. There's some genetic code that is used that's from another species right. that is now put into theirs. Do the Andorans even still exist? Are they now a new species? And so that's a question that some people are trying to come to grips with is, I'd rather see us die out pure as Andorians than to involve into right. something that is Andorian-like. You know, yeah. a mix of human genetics or Vulcan, whatever it is in there. We're not quite pure Andorian. But then, you know, if you're going to die out anyway, why not change it? Like, what's why be so pure? Like, right. why, why is that such a bad thing? Well, and, and I mean, I think the question becomes then, too, you know, is, is science a tool to be used to help save people um, and or or is it? you know, bad, and we kind of, you know, ask that question, you know, what is good and what is bad here um, it, as it pertains to, like, information and everything. That's a question we will look at. But, you know, I, I think it's fascinating because shouldn't people be given the choice, right, to, to choose, you know? And, and so, and, and this is another thing where, you know, factions need to allow others to make their own choices, you know, and, and and what one group of Andorians is saying is, is that, no, this is completely wrong, not right, you shouldn't ever do this, and everybody should die, basically, because of it. Um, and I think that's not your choice. It's not your choice to make somebody else's choice like that. Um, and so... Um, I I really I loved this question of what are we going to do to save a situation and I thought it was also kind of interesting this this book really plays into that what Andor has gone through felt very much like uh the new BSG because the president uh uh or the presider of Andor was a lot like President Rosalind in BSG you know she was like the secretary of education or something and uh, you know, 
the presider was a leader of a low-level committee before the board came. Like a, a nobody, basically, in the government. But because of the powers of succession and everybody else who died, she becomes the presider. And she becomes a good one, right? She She's somebody who actually is doing this job well. I mean, one of her best quotes is, said that the people who elected me did so with the understanding that I'd know where to direct my energy. Given the choice between real or manufactured issues, I go with the former. Like, so she understands what is, I think is, should be done in light of trying to save civilization. It's like, we do whatever we got to do. Um, and at this point, this might be a place where the ends do justify the means when it comes to annihilation. Um, we faced annihilation from the Borg. Now we're facing annihilation from genetics. But then again, I kept thinking, as they talk about the Federation as it's as if it's that other thing, mm-hmm. but the Andorians are just much of the Federation right. as humans are, or Vulcans, and etc. Yep. And this whole genetic code, which I know we're going to get into here, but even though that was buried away somewhere mm-hmm. in the Federation archives or whatever, there were Endorians there yep. at the time. So yep. this isn't a Federation problem, in my opinion, because the Endorians are just as much a part yes. of that Federation as anyone else. Exactly. Well, and this goes back to our conversation about the blame game, right? It doesn't make sense because, yes, the Federation and the Andorians are the same. They are, they've chosen to be a part of the Federation, and they would have been just as much a part of making those decisions as anybody else would have been. They would have been in places in Starfleet, you know, to be a part of making those decisions. And so the, the, the blame game is that in the end, they were just as much to blame as the Federation in Starfleet. Right. By making Starfleet seem other than them you can go this route. And I think that's what makes this so interesting. And and again, that's what makes this so fascinating is because of the fact that um, we're, we're playing this game. And, and like you mentioned, we're going to connect this to one of the big series that came out of um, all of these type of novels. And it was the Vanguard series. And, you know, Dayton Ward was a part of writing that series. And so they connect all of the things that happened in the Vanguard series with these Vanguard connections. So what, how did that work for you as, as a reader? That's a good question because I did read this book when it came out years ago. And of course I don't I remembered some of it, but I forgot this played into this and having read the Vanguard series at that time. And then it appeared in this, it got me really excited. So this time around, I still was like, Oh my gosh, yes, we got Vanguard. And then I was like, Oh wait, what all happened in Vanguard again? <laughs> you know, it's been a while since I've read it. But it works because it ties into something that's previous Star Trek. And it, it's, it works well in this setting that there's this genetic code that was found in the Tarsus Reach that played out in those novels that now can play out into this one and involves the Tholians. So that really works and makes a lot of sense. The other thing is, if you never read the Vanguard novels, I don't think you need to. 
Right. I, it's not necessary to understand this book. You're not going to be lost because what I just said is all you need to know mm-hmm. is that this genetic code was found 100 years ago, was buried in the archives in the Federation, and the Tholians are bringing it forward now. That's all you need to know. Yep. Now, if you want to go back and read Vanguard, you'll get like whatever it was, eight, ten novels of story that involves some of this. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's interesting because I've never read Vanguard. So, you know, I don't have that information, but I think Dayton Ward does such a good job of giving you everything you need to know. It connects wonderfully. And like you said, the fact that the fact that you've got the Typhon Pact involves the Tholians, everything that happened in the Taurus Reach had to do with the Tholians as well as the the Federation and Starfleet at that time was fascinating and i think it's phenomenally done i have no issues uh, whatsoever and again I've, I've never read the i've never read the vanguard series and i didn't need to so uh what's wonderful here is that you really do get this whole beautiful question though about starfleet the federation's reasoning for not releasing this information and you know we get the question of like is information good or bad or just is it neutral and then what you do with it is what matters and that that's where the Andorian presider sides and I completely agree with her um obviously this information terribly dangerous because it also led to genesis and and you know they 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 housed this information and hid it in such a way because they didn't want anybody ever using this information again because it seemed so dangerous I get that, um, but as we talked about before, I don't think the Andorians can really be angry at the Federation for that. Uh, But two, it does seem like here the Federation was aware of this information and still chose not to share it because of the danger. And I think in that place, the Andorians, that's where they have a point. No, you chose wrong. Yeah, because it's proven that had this been released, it would have worked because the scientist who's working on this yep. cure is using this because she's didn't know it, but she was getting it from the Tholians. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, now we know that this works and the Federation had it all along. They could have been working on this years ago. So, yeah, I can understand why the Andorians are upset. And then it, it's true. Why didn't the Federation produce this? Are they that afraid of it? They And they made the point in here, too. They used it for the Genesis device. And maybe because that even created more fear and they buried it. But even Baco doesn't know really anything about it. It's so buried that they know that there's something there, but they didn't know enough about it. And it's a century later that it's almost forgotten of. But, you know, the Tholians... I guess they recognize that the Federation wasn't using it, and they used it to their advantage. And, you know, of course, it helps that the Tholians were a part of all this, and they have some of that information. And so, you know, they're, they're again, you're, they're, ap- they're absolutely right. Uh, it, was, it was just fascinating to see the Federation on its heels like this. And I think that's one of the things that makes this book so interesting is the way in which they put the Federation on its heels. 
not for doing necessarily bad things, but for for trying to do good things, you know, and and that even in that you can still make mistakes or make the wrong choice. And so, you know, I again, I I understand why the Federation was so keen to keep this information out of people's hands. But and and I know they have a long history, of course, with genetic engineering. I think one of the things that Enterprise does is that it makes the reason for the moratorium on genetic engineering in the Federation even more pronounced. And so whether you like all that that happened, I think it's wonderful because it really helps you understand the stance that the Federation comes to as a whole as to why they do not do genetic engineering. So, but... Here, I, again, I just think they do. They make the wrong choice. They're being too careful, and there was no reason to be this careful, uh, especially when the lives of an entire species are on the, on the line. Well, I'm trying to relate this to COVID. You know, I'm trying to think of what we've gone through for over a year with COVID, and if we had found out that some country or the United Nations, let's say, had a cure and had a vaccine right. for COVID a year ago and just never released it. And we found out that they had all this time and all these lives, you know, that were right. lost could have been prevented. Yeah. But if they had come back and said, well, yeah, we had this, but we weren't sure it's, it's, it's very dangerous and we didn't want to release it because it could cause more problems. You're going to have people probably like me, I would probably say, well, they had a reason they thought it was too dangerous. Um, but you're going you know, there's going to be other people that say, you know, they could have, they could have at least tried. They could have at mm-hmm. least tested it. Think of all the lives we would have saved. Right. But then again, it's like from the Andorians perspective, like what did they, did they think the Federation wants them to be wiped out? I don't think they really right. believe that. Do they? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I think, that's where it kind of comes down to the whole question of the emotionalism we got to earlier in, in that they it's easy to be led down that path in the light of fear of annihilation. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question that you're asking, and it's definitely one that's important. Um, and and it's not what I what I do love about this is there's no easy answer to this. And that's what makes it great. And that's what makes for a great story here that Dayton's created. And I think this this ends up with the massive, you know, spoiler alert here, leaving the Federation. Andor leaves the Federation because the, the Tholians were anything but idle. And one of the things that was fascinating to me in this idea of them leaving the Federation is that this book really shone a light on worlds dealing with in the federation dealing with a way of life that they haven't known in generations upon generations like centuries because now they're struggling because of the borg attack with the most most basic needs of life right in a way that they haven't for at least 200 years and i think that this book much like we saw, and Chris and I always talk about in the orb with Deep Space Nine, where it's really challenging the ideals of the Federation in less than perfect circumstances, we're seeing here 
less than perfect circumstances, the ideals of the Federation being challenged. And in that way, Andor fails. Andor fails to live up to the ideals of the Federation to which it had held for over 200 years and had become a founding member of because they got so lost in fear um, that they were willing to give those up in light of fear, in light of difficulty, in light of immense struggle. And I think that's fascinating. I mean, truly fascinating uh, thing to just explore here with this series of books and especially in this book by Dayton Ward. And again, it makes me think of COVID because why should the Andorians trust the Tholians? Exactly. I mean, think, think of that. The Tholians have not been a race that you can trust. They have not been trustworthy at all. They've been an enemy. And so your friends, the Federation that you're a part of says that, well, yeah, this information has been buried because it's dangerous. The Tholians gave it to you and it's going to help the situation. But why? The Andorans should question, why would the Tholians give us yep. this information and can we trust them? Maybe it solves the problem, but may, and this is where I'm saying it connects with COVID, yep. but maybe it causes something later because why else would they give this to, why would our enemies give this to us that our friends are saying is dangerous? Because as with COVID, there's people who are like, hey, if I get this vaccination for mm -hmm. COVID, you know, may, there's stories of, well, it could cause cancer or there's some behind this that's going to create something later there's people who believe that i don't know why the andorians wouldn't believe something the tholians are up to that could cause even greater harm to them right and i see that's to me where there's a part two in this there needs to be another yeah. novel that follows this yeah and uh you know luckily this story is going to continue you know um and that's what i think makes it so great and you know bruce this this has been i think uh, uh, Honestly, I mean, this has been one of our best discussions we've had about the Typhon Pack series. Uh, and I think we've had nothing but glowing praise so far. So I'm kind of fascinated to see where we end up ratings-wise. I really did enjoy this. This is my favorite so far of the Typhon Pack books. Again, it's interesting to me that these are called Typhon Pack books because the Typhon Pack doesn't really ever hold any big presence mm -hmm. in these books. You know, I mean, yes, the Tholians are here, but the Typhon Pack is like a background character. They're not really even that involved. Right. So it's interesting. That's what these books are called. But yeah, the characters are right on target. Uh, I enjoy, I wanted more of Char. He's on the cover, mm -hmm. but uh, I did enjoy seeing his character in here. And Picard and Crusher talking about family and protecting themselves fits well in a book where the Andorians are doing the same thing. We're talking about, you know, having children and continuing on their legacy and Picard and Crusher trying to figure out if they should stay or go or not. But anyway, everything was right there. Should I stay um, or should I go now? <laughs> that's the, that I played that song the whole time I was reading the novel, <laughs> but <laughs> I would give this one. Um, I would give this novel four and a half out of five genetic codes that could help save the Andorians. Nice. You know, um, I, I got to hand it again. I just got to hand it to Dayton. I, I love this book. 
And uh, when I put it on Goodreads, um, I I had had it rated at four stars, and unfortunately, there are no half stars. So I think this book deserves five stars. Um, I think it's a phenomenal book. I think the work that that he did in crafting the thematic elements of this are so strong, but it never loses sight of its characters. And I think that's the thing that made me excited. I do think uh, it would have been interesting, Bruce, to see a little bit more Char in the book, but I almost feel like this story belongs to all of Andoria, and what's interesting is that Char is not on the Andorian side that we end up at the book in and that's why he's maybe not as much a part of the story in the sense that we already know how he feels about the relationship between the federation and andor and he was frustrated by what happened between you know them but he doesn't feel like andor is making the right decision and i I think it's fascinating too that like this book, it, like again, it's the Typhon Pack, but we're dealing with Atholians, but they're only background players really for the most of it. And I just think it's genius because they're like the the puppet masters in the background, really running the show here uh, through the help of what I'm sure is you know Picard even mentions they must be learning from the Romulans, and they're doing a great job of learning from the Romulans because this is masterful. So this book really becomes a center point for the entire relaunch era because this is a demarcation line. Like, nothing's ever the same after this. And coming back from Andor seceding from the Federation is a big thing that for the rest of, uh, of this relaunch era. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, in the Star Wars books when New Jedi Order killed Chewie and it's like you knew something big was going to happen and what I love is that something big here happens you have a feeling like they're going to correct it but it's going to take a while and I honestly don't remember what book that happens in I think it might be in the fall series at the end of the fall series where uh not the fall like the season but the fall series was the next big series that comes out and I don't think Andor returns to the Federation Till that series, if I remember correctly. And, of course, an Endorian actually becomes the president of the Federation as well. Yes. So, spoiler yes. alert, but well, we've already talked about those books on the show, so. The funny thing is the Fall series is called the Fall series because of the seasons. That was the working title because they're going to release the series in the fall, so they kept calling it the Fall series, and then it just stuck. That's and funny. It has, it has nothing to do with the season, but yeah, that's how played out but yeah so yeah five out of five stars excellent okay so the typhon pack has been a fun read but not all the time i'm glad i've gone back to reading these again because i couldn't remember them all but i'm surprised how most of them i haven't been all that thrilled with but this one is definitely at the Mm -hmm. top of the list yeah and it's gonna be fun because um we've got the struggle within uh, coming up in the Typhon Pack series, Plagues of Night, Raise the Dawn, and Brinkmanship. So all all of those coming up in the Typhon Pack series. Plus, in the chronology, we're also going to have a Titan novel. I believe it's Fallen Gods. 
uh, is is the next novel um, uh, that will be in that mix as well. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Some fantastic books here. Uh, and yeah, I'm really excited uh, to, to be able to get to those, Bruce. But yeah, before we get out of here, if people do you know, want to catch up with you and of course just see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underlying Rex. And you can find me on the Positively Trek podcast with Dan Gunther, where we talk about everything Star Trek, including books and comics. And then you can also occasionally find me on the Star Wars report talking about Star Wars, which I'm really anxious to do soon because we haven't done any new episodes lately. (laughs) We got to get back in the mic there. So, yeah, all that's going on. And uh, so that's where you can find me. And, of course, uh, you could find me uh, here on the network doing the 602 Club, which is our general geek show, talking about all of those fandoms outside of Star Trek that we love. In that same feed, you'll find Snyder Cuts that I did with John Mills. We talked about everything that Zack Snyder directed, so check that out, too. Uh, Of course, I mentioned The Orb uh, that I do with Chris Jones, where we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Also, over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find two shows. One is an archive show now called Outpost I did with Drea Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And uh, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills, as every week we talk about something different in the Star Wars universe, because it is a Star Wars podcast, so I hope that you will join us. But you know what? Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.